from the studios of Postscript Media and Canary Media. We're on the topic of Elon Musk this week. He's a pretty impulsive person, but I got to be honest, this one is for a reason I didn't see coming. Yeah, and apparently it has happened. Uh, we know that uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, Elon Musk put in an offer of almost $44 billion to buy Twitter, and apparently uh, we're hearing it is now a done deal. Yes, the CEO of the world's most important electric car company and rocket company could soon be the owner of one of the world's most fraught social media platforms. It will take months for the deal to close. If and when it does, and Musk takes Twitter off the public market, it would be the second biggest private takeover in history. And after the deal was announced, investors got a little spooked. The share price dropped by nearly 20% over the following week, and many wondered, is this going to be a problem for Tesla? So if you look at what this is going to cost him in the end, you can't just look at the $43 billion purchase price. You also have to consider that he's lost $35 billion in Tesla wealth since this stake was first announced. So you could say this is already an $80 billion deal for him. We're going to have to see where these Tesla shares eventually shake out. Reporter David Ferris immediately had the same questions. The very first thing that came through my mind was, wow, Tesla has just taken on a ton of new risk. Risk is a big part of Musk's appeal. After selling PayPal, he risked all his money on rockets, electric vehicles, and solar when few people took them seriously. He's now the richest person in the world precisely because investors know those technologies are so valuable. But he's constantly taking new risks that are unrelated to his vision for electric cars or space travel, and they're playing out right there on Twitter. He jumps into culture wars, he makes promises he needs to walk back, and he sparked lawsuits and investigations by provoking people. Most investors see that as part of the cost of investing in Musk, but this new set of risks from buying Twitter, financial, reputational, strategic, they feel a little bit different to David. We've seen bad news about Twitter and about Musk cause Tesla's stock to crater and then it bounces right back up. So I think it's a little uncertain there, but there, I think that investors are now aware that there is a new, that there's a new risk on the horizon. And that risk could potentially spiral. I mean, there is one bad scenario in here, and that is um, because this deal is being financed by $12.5 billion of Tesla stock, the banks are holding that stock as collateral for the Twitter deal. And if his shares continue to fall, he has to sell those shares. And if he continues to sell those shares, then the stock price could drop further. That is one possible scenario, and it is a very risky financial scenario. And it could be really bad for Twitter's financial health, and it could be really bad for Tesla's financial health. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to imagine that happening right now, but, you know, it definitely could happen. A CEO's investment in their own company is always closely watched by, by investors, but especially in this case because Musk's shares in Tesla form the backbone of his superlative wealth. He's the wealthiest person on the planet because of what he holds in Tesla. And so it has a greater meaning than, with, than for pretty much any other company. This is The Carbon Copy. I'm Stephen Lacey. This week, Elon Musk's Twitter takeover and the new set of risks that just entered the picture for Tesla. There are quite a few of them. Will the shiny new toy distract from Tesla's mission-critical work?
David Ferris is a reporter at E&E News. His beat is electric transportation. Electric vehicles all the time. And looking at the big untold stories behind what's going on in electric vehicles. But yet you still have to tell the very told stories about Elon Musk. Yes, very much so. The electric vehicle beat covers topics you'd expect, like do we have enough charging stations? What do we do with used batteries? Or how will consumers react to new models? It also includes topics like did Musk commit securities fraud because of a tweet? Or is this new product revealed by Musk on a Tesla conference call actually a real thing or just a spontaneous musing? Tesla can dominate the subject of electric cars because it dominates electric car sales. So as soon as the news dropped that Musk would be buying Twitter, David was obliged to write a story. Musk is already leading four companies, and he clearly wants to take a very active role in shaping Twitter, a company with a lot of problems around speech moderation and a business model that will definitely suck up his attention. And that raises a major set of questions about how that could stretch Tesla, which makes up three quarters of U.S. electric car sales at a time when competition is ramping up fast. My personal feelings about Mary Barra don't really color my, my opinions of GM. And my opinions of Jim Farley, the CEO of Ford, don't really affect how I feel about Ford. But how I feel about Elon Musk absolutely affects how I feel about Tesla. And like I run across people all the time who say, yeah, I was considering buying a Tesla, but I don't like Elon Musk. His vehicles are identified with his brand to a very unusual extent. And what we're seeing with his acquisition of Twitter is that the same sort of thing is now happening before our eyes um, between Musk and Twitter, where in the public mind... Musk is now being welded to your opinions of Twitter. And so what risk does Tesla run from having people's opinions of Twitter transfer through Musk to Tesla? And I, like as a Twitter user, <laughs> usually I, I wouldn't say that Twitter is fun. You know, it's, it's, <laughs> it's, um, it's definitely engaging, but I don't walk away from Twitter feeling happy. I usually walk away feeling frustrated or confused or agitated about something. And that does that mean that people are going to have transfer that same agitated, bad feeling to Musk's other company when they consider which electric car they're going to buy? Musk doesn't seem to care much about that. One of his latest tweets is, next I'm buying Coca-Cola to put the cocaine back in. Right. Well, I mean, I was thinking about that very tweet. And I was thinking... I'm not going to show this tweet to my nine-year-old daughter. And I do notice that since his acquisition of Twitter has come on, come on board, it seems like he somehow feels unfettered and is tweeting even more and getting even more controversial. And uh, the, the risk comes back to where Tesla sits in the firmament of, of autos and EVs. Because right now, you know, the first three months of the year, Tesla sold an overwhelming 75% of all the EVs in the country. Uh, but the alternatives to Tesla are rapidly coming online. And Elon Musk's expectations for Tesla are for 50% growth, growth per year, soon selling 20 million vehicles per year, which necessarily means taking market share away from those other vehicles persuading people to choose a Tesla instead of the other traditional vehicle they would have bought. And so it means that the negative feelings that that brand carries in are going to affect their purchases. And so it makes me wonder whether, as we start to get to the point where Tesla is no longer the only game in town, 
whether the association with Twitter ends up becoming a, a liability. I'm sorry if I ruined your nine-year-old's ability to listen to this interview, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> you spoke with experts after this announcement came out. What did they tell you about this risk assessment? Well, probably the most inter interesting interview I had was with this fellow named Andrew Maynard, who runs um, the Risk Innovation Lab at Arizona State University. And he looks at how companies, that, that the different kind of more squishy kinds of risk that companies and individuals face. What his, and he's actually um, looked at Tesla and specifically at a lot of its, um, a lot of its automated driving programs. And his thought, what, his thought when he first heard about Musk buying Twitter was, huh, here's a piece that doesn't fit. If he looks at the company's and the projects that Musk has taken on, he saw a coherent plan. He saw somebody who had thought through the moves all in advance. And you know, if you look at the constellation of companies and what they do that Musk has, you have Tesla, which makes electric cars and um, manages and builds batteries for homes and for the electric grid. You've got SpaceX, which is uh, getting cargo to space and building a uh, space-based internet with the eventual goal of creating civilization off the planet on Mars. And you've got the Boring Company, uh, which proposes to uh, make the building of tunnels much faster and cheaper in order to transport freight and people underground in order to solve gridlock and make delivering people and things more efficient. Those are his, the, There's also Neuralink, which is uh, about creating a brain-machine interface. That doesn't quite fit in with that schema, but it also it doesn't mismatch with it either. Generally, you have the, the, you have the concept of a, of a man who is taking on these goals of creating sustainable energy and moving civilization off Earth to another planet. And that's obviously a sweeping and stunning set of goals, but they, but they are coherent. When Maynard looked at the purchasing of Twitter... It's an outlier among the other things that he does, and it's hard to see how it fits into the overall plan that Musk has made. We are going to hit the pause button really quickly to talk about the supporters of this show. When we come back, how in the world is Musk going to manage his time and his conflicts of interest? Back in 2015, Ashley Vance released a book about Elon Musk called Elon Musk, Tesla, SpaceX, and the Quest for a Fantastic Future. It's a really good book. It was one of the first times that a journalist got deep access to how Elon was running his companies. And it was also a very different world because at that point, the Tesla skeptics were everywhere. There was this very real question about whether the company would implode as it scaled up the Model 3. And Tesla's stock price was 5% what it is today. Elon certainly wasn't anywhere close to the world's richest man. It captured him right at this inflection point as he emerged into a broader cultural figure who was loved by many and loathed by many. One of the things that stood out to me was how much the guy could do with his day. He was running two companies, solving incredibly complex technical challenges, tweeting incessantly. Whatever you think about his personality or cultural influence, you can't argue with the fact that he's ludicrously productive. 
And since then, he's veered off in all kinds of directions. He started a drilling company, an artificial intelligence organization, a company focused on brain implants for superintelligence. And many have wondered, what exactly is the limit? Like, at what point does this become a liability? Investors haven't really been concerned up until now, but the market and media reaction after the Twitter takeover was different. It suggested that maybe there's more concern this time. So what's the distraction risk? Well, you know, you'd think that a man would be uh, pretty well have his time split managing a uh, leading space travel company and the electric leading electric vehicle maker, you know. We, you already imagine there's a lot of demands on the guy's time, not to mention the other smaller companies he's associated with. So it's kind of hard to calculate when uh, Musk gets too distracted to do something. It definitely looks like Twitter is something he really, really wants to engage in. It seems like he's obviously thinking about it a lot. He wants to engage on it. And so that means that less attention is being paid to Tesla at a time when... Um, the company has just opened two enormous new factories and is engaged in the task of, of ramping them up. And that, they, even before this Twitter thing came up, Tesla said that it was so going to be so occupied ramping up those factories that it was going to have to put off uh, two highly anticipated models, the Cybertruck and the Roadster, to 2023 in order to deal with the big tasks ahead of it. So it, it seems like it can't be helping Tesla um, to have its CEO very preoccupied with a new project. Let's talk about conflicts of interest here, because this is an interesting one. And in your story on this, you linked to a tweet from Jeff Bezos. And Jeff Bezos publicly said, what happens if Tesla has business interests that conflict with Twitter's business interests? What are you going to do? And the example that he gave was, if you are trying to build factories in China and negotiating over Tesla's operations there, and then China wants to crack down on your speech, Twitter's speech policies, what does that do to the way that you are treating your speech policies on Twitter? Talk me through that. Well, the thing that made me think of was how Musk has reacted to COVID lockdowns. Famously, when his California factory was locked down, he called the officials who imposed that fascists um, and really publicly bristled against it. But there's been a similar lockdown going on in Shanghai um, at his factory, and he hasn't pushed back against it at all, um, perhaps because his relationship with the Chinese government is different and he knows that he needs their approval to be able to continue to operate. And I think that's kind of, the, that's the fear that Bezos hinted at in that tweet. And it gets to the point that with Musk running Twitter and Musk running Tesla, one is left wondering which master he's serving. There are points of conflict and it will be simply, even, even if we don't know what the machinations are behind it, there will be a question, a doubt, about whose interests he is forwarding at any given time. And that's going to make it a tough situation for both companies. This is such a unique story. It's such a Muskian story. It is. So many rich people buy media companies. Um, sometimes they come in, they establish policies, they walk out, they're fairly hands-off. Musk is obviously going to be very hands-on here. And we, we've seen people like Jeff Bezos buying the Washington Post. Um, and throughout history, rich people 
Uh, often energy magnates have bought media publications. But there's never really there's, – there's not often this question, oh, will they be able to run their company if they own this media company? But there is a real question about whether – Tesla will suffer because of Musk's new fascination with Twitter. What does that tell you about the unique dynamics of Musk's relationship with Tesla and Musk generally as a CEO? You know, it'd be interesting to go back to the times of the great robber barons of the, you know, late 19th, early 20th century and think about whether, you know, Andrew Carnegie controlled, you know, both the railroads and the iron interests, you know, it's like it, 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 he's 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 managing so many world-changing platforms at the same time that it's kind of this. It feels like it's this, like watching the plate spinner at the at the circus. Like you know, is is a plate going to fall and shatter? Is kind of the is kind of where we're at because uh, he just keeps on taking on more and more spinning plates. And I mean, the thing that most interests me about about the whole successful entrepreneur buying media is, you know. Bezos, Jeff Bezos bought the Washington Post, but because of that, you don't really have any more insight into how Jeff Bezos feels about the political issues that the Washington Post covers. He's in the background. I'm sure he has his opinions, but he doesn't make them known. And by contrast, Musk seems to be rushing to the white hot center of controversy here. He just, he wants to be right at the center of every, every controversial thing that's going on on the platform. He wants to be in the mix every single moment. I, don't, I, can't, I can't think of a corollary to another, another big CEO swaggering into media like that. That's the show this week. The Carbon Copy is a co-production of Postscript Media and Canary Media. You can find all our episodes at Canary Media or wherever you get your pods. Our producers are Jamie Kaiser and Alexandria Herr. Ann Bailey's our editor. Sean Marquand mixed the show. Original music came from Echo Finch and Blue Dot Sessions. Postscript Media is supported by Prelude Ventures. Prelude is a venture capital firm that partners with entrepreneurs to address climate change across a range of sectors. That includes advanced energy, food and agriculture, transportation and logistics, advanced materials and manufacturing, and advanced computing. Thanks, Prelude. And thanks to all of you for listening. Give us a rating and review on Apple or Spotify. Send us your thoughts on social media. Send this show to a friend or colleague. We really appreciate you spreading the word. And I will catch you next week. I'm Stephen Lacey. This is The Carbon Copy. Mm -hmm.